my hope as we as life goes back and opens up a little is that people don't rush out and just go running back to what their schedule was my hope is that we can all become thoughtful about what we add back this is lives at speak a podcast highlighting the exceptional work of sidwell friends school alumni i'm brian garman the head of school for sidwell friends a pre-k through 12th grade independent quaker school located in washington dc in this interview, I sat down with Dr. Vidisha Patel, an alumna from the class of 1981. Dr. Patel is currently a licensed mental health counselor in Sarasota, Florida, where she specializes in the problems of young children, adolescents, and parents. In addition to Dr. Patel's private practice, she is also very active in her local community. She serves on the boards of multiple organizations and regularly works with pregnant and parenting teens at CISIS a school for pregnant and teenage mothers in Sarasota County. During our conversation, we spoke about some of the effects the current COVID-19 pandemic can have on the mental health of students and parents, and some of the ways we can cope as individuals and as a community. We are speaking with uh, Vidisha Patel, class of uh, 1981, and she is joining us today to provide some pointers to our community about how to maintain mental wellness during uh, the COVID crisis. So Vidisha, thank you for joining us today. Oh, you're very welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. And you're um, joining us from Florida, right? Yes. So I live in Sarasota, Florida, and um, I have to say I feel quite fortunate because uh, we have sunshine, which makes such a difference in these days when we are all stuck at home. (laughs) It really does make a difference in everyone, <laughs> depending on the weather. Yes. Um, now, you have a long association with the school, and your story is so unique about um, how your family arrived at Sidwell Friends. Would you be willing to share uh, some of that story um, before we get into the advice? Sure, absolutely. And I'll do my best. I have to say, my father tells the story a whole lot better than I do, but. Um... Very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> but. But basically, we moved to the U.S. Um, for uh, for my father's work. And when we came, I was about four years old and my brother was about six and a half, seven. And um, my parents were looking for schools for us. And my family is, um, by religion, my mother's family is Jain. And she was a little concerned about us going to schools that had religious affiliations. And she wanted to find a school that was going to um, raise us with similar values to what she wanted to raise us with. And um, they found Sidwell and they found my mother was very comfortable with the Quaker religion and um, thought that this would be a good fit. Um, there were some challenges in trying to get into the school because my parents very naively thought they could just land in Washington and show up at the school and say, please admit my children. Um, and, uh, my father discovered very quickly that that's not really how it worked. And he was persistent. He actually went and called Peter Rice, who was the principal of the lower school at the time and couldn't get a meeting with him and actually drove out to um, the summer camp where Peter Rice used to to be in the summers and just showed up and 
basically told him, you must, must have my children. Um, and actually, it was my brother who started it, said, well, because at the time I was too young. And so then my brother started at Sidwell and then I came in in transition. So I actually was have been at Sidwell, I graduated from there. So I was a lifer. And both of my brother and I, we felt like Sidwell was our, it was our family. It was our home away from home. Um, and it, it really sort of laid the foundation for how we approached our lives um, ever since. And your life has had a very interesting trajectory uh, since you left Sidwell Friends, right? So you went to Williams College and, and tell us about your career and how you uh, became a counselor. So I guess it started when I was at Sidwell. Um, I found that friends would talk to me about their problems. I was definitely, I'm definitely introverted. So I was quiet and I would watch and listen. And then I went on to Williams College. It was a wonderful experience. I felt very prepared after my time at Sidwell. When I was in ninth grade and my brother was in 12th grade, our mother passed away and um, she was a physician. So I had decided in my head that I was going to follow in her footsteps and become a doctor. So I went to college with that purpose in mind and decided I was pre-med and I was going to study natural sciences and very quickly, I discovered that a liberal arts education is so much more than that. And college is so much more than going in with a singular purpose. And it's important to experience different things. So I had the good fortune of a friend who said that you cannot graduate from Williams College without taking an art history class. And she opened up a whole new world to me of what it meant to be educated. And I took art history, I fell in love with art history, um, and decided to shift my major. Um, but then I took another twist in that I knew that that it was something I enjoyed, but I didn't want to follow, follow that as a career. So I actually went to Wall Street after college, and I worked in finance and international banking with multinational banks and corporations. Right after graduation, I then moved to India and lived and worked in India as an adult because I wanted to experience what life was like being a resident of the country instead of just a visitor. And then I went to business school back in New York at Columbia University and continued studying finance and international business. But actually, the entire time that was happening, I felt like something was missing. And while I was good at my work and I could do the analysis and the numbers were interesting to me. It was just somehow it wasn't enough. And about the time that I graduated from business school, um, I met the person I ended up marrying and I started thinking about life as a, a family person and as a wife and a mother. And I knew that I wanted to pursue a career where I could sort of have it all. I spent a year really looking um, into what made me happy, what I enjoyed doing, and how I could give back to other people. What kept coming up was um, psychology and therapy and listening 
and relationships with others. And so when we made our permanent move to Florida um, 25 years ago now, um, I decided to go back to school and get a doctorate in psychology, which I did while I raised my two children. And um, that's sort of what's brought me to where I am today. So I work as a licensed mental health therapist in Florida, and I work with children, I work with families, I work with a lot of women as well around issues related to um, trauma and abuse. Um, and I have, uh, that's part-time and the other part-time piece I spend working with college students um, in the counseling center at a college in, that is actually located in Sarasota. It's such an interesting path. Um... Working on that doctorate with young children at home must have uniquely qualified you uh, to offer advice to working parents during the pandemic, right? I mean, this, <laughs> right, this is one of the major challenges of, of feeling this pull um, to your job and, and not feeling like you can um, uh, fulfill all the responsibilities at your job and also feeling the tug of children at home and, and um, feeling the need to be fully invested in the parenting process. What kind of advice do you give people who are feeling that tension? So I start with, we all have to have patience with ourselves and we have to have patience with our children and our our families, but we have to start with patience for ourselves because um, when I was at home and raising kids and studying, that was a choice I made so I could sort of adjust how I did things a little bit. But in this situation, we're actually being told that we have to stay home and we have to do, there's certain things that are required of us that are very limiting. Um, so I start with the parents and I start with asking parents to look at where they are, what they're feeling, what shifted in their surroundings. It's almost like taking stock as a parent with what tools do you have and what limitations do you have? Because however you feel and however you are managing your emotions and your situation is then going to impact how you parent your children. So from an emotional space, I think it's really important that um, parents practice self-care. Um, the children are always watching, right? Yes. They, <laughs> they, they are, and it doesn't matter how old they are. They are always watching. And actually, the younger the child is, the more they pick up on your emotions. Mm. So you can say what you like, but if that's not what you're feeling, your children will not believe you. Mm. That's top. So what? So once that they the, the parents develop a kind of awareness of their feelings, what? Where do you go from there? Right? There's a there's a kind of awareness that you're suggesting it needs to develop. How do you regulate though those emotions when you are actually feeling a sense of anxiety? And and how do you work to not pass those on to your children? Well, so a lot of that then comes through communication. So it's important to communicate to your kids the things that you struggle with and the things that, and ask them what they might be struggling with. 
So this is a great opportunity when we're all together to be um, to allow ourselves to have conversations that we might not otherwise have. Um, kids have all sorts of feelings. They'll have fears. They'll have anxieties of their own. They'll, there might be behavioral issues that come up, um, but they have their own thoughts about those things. So have conversations. And it doesn't mean to say, okay, we're going to, you know, there is this concept of family meetings where you get together at a specific time. Those are fine. But what I'm talking about is having sort of um, impromptu conversations or when in the moment, when you see something, if, if, a, if you're anxious and your child can see that, you can say to them, I'm just, I'm just feeling a little anxious right now. So I'm, I need to take five minutes and sit outside on the porch or I need to go grab a drink of water and then I can come back and we can continue what we were doing. Um, sort of being honest with where you are and then that helps the children mm -hmm. to then be honest with where they are. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And we all have bad moments during this pandemic, right? It's impossible not to experience uh, some sense of anxiety during this tremendous transformation that we've we've experienced. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the, that's the other piece that I, I worry about, because if when I look at social media, when I read articles, there are all these, uh, there's all this information out there about how people are using this time to clean out their cupboards, to declutter their homes, to finish projects that they have. It creates a lot of pressure um, for the rest of the world, because there are many of us out there who are just trying to get their work done and make sure their kids are fed and are getting their schoolwork done if they're school age kids. Um, and there's no time for all these other projects. So I guess my point there is that we're all managing this in different ways and we're in different stages of capability of how we manage it. So try to validate where you are instead of worrying about where anybody else is and try to avoid those comparisons, um, be it for yourself or your children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's let's shift the focus a little bit to the kids, um, which is one of your many areas of expertise. We've certainly seen an uptick in adolescent anxiety over the um, past decade. Um, and this is almost another layer of anxiety on top of that. What, what are you seeing in terms of your treatment um, of children right now? What kind of fears are they expressing to you? And how are you counseling them to address those? So um, I see a, a lot of anxiety, of course. Um, I see a lot of grief. And mm -hmm. there's grief around events that won't happen or people that they don't see. There could be relatives or friends who've become ill. So grief is actually a, a big thing. Um, and there's the the transitions that kids are missing, whether it's yeah. a transition from elementary school to middle school, middle mm -hmm. school to high school, graduations. Um, These rituals are important, right? Those are very important. And um, Again, it comes back to this comparison thing where people start to feel that, 
well, I shouldn't feel so badly about that because at least we have enough food and at least we're healthy mm-hmm. and at least we have a home to live in. But the reality is that graduation, missing that graduation is a, is a huge loss. Um, so there is a lot of counseling that I do around helping students recognize that that loss is an important loss. It needs to be understood. It needs to, you need to go through it. You need to be whatever you feel about it. If you're sad about it, if you're angry about it, whatever it is. So I do work around that type of grief with kids. Um, The anxieties are the same ones we've always seen and added to it is the anxiety over, well, what is it going to look like for the fall? What is it going to look like for the summer? Maybe maybe they were supposed to go away to summer camp if they're younger kids. Maybe they were they had internships. Um, will they be able to do those? Um, and the social isolation. Mm-hmm. You know, kids go to school, and when they go to school, they go to learn, but they're not just learning academically they're learning socially they have breaks they have recess they play sports there's so much more involved with school um, than just the academics and so it's very hard to replicate that at home so there's there's a sense of social isolation that i see which then leads to behavioral issues the, the, the social isolation is something that educators have found that has been um, to be very deeply impactful on the students, right? As we, we, we went into the online uh, learning process, I, I think that one of the things that the adults have discovered is how important the social networks are to kids. And there's a tremendous sense of grief around uh, that loss of that. Right. Absolutely. And that's, that sort of, Zoom is a wonderful thing and um, being able to see your classmates and to be able to chat with them a little bit back and forth, not just via text, but actually being able to speak to them and hear them. So the video aspect of it is actually very important, I think, for yeah. for most children. Yeah, yeah. Now, I've watched um, this transition take place in my house and, and um, along with uh, the students at, at Sidwell Friends. And it's a very, it's, it's one of the profound discoveries, I think, of all of this is just how deeply we do need each other. Yes. I mean, the, the sense of community, the support we get. I, so it's as is often the case, we know what we're missing after it's gone. You know, we appreciate mm-hmm. it after it's gone. Um, so I think one of the positive things that is going to come out of this time is that we will have a greater appreciation for all those people around us. Um, and for the students in the classrooms, even the students who others might have found disruptive will be missed because that all of that is what created um, the atmosphere, uh, the learning atmosphere, right. um, which you don't have when you're sitting at home in front of a computer. Yeah, we take so much for granted um, and and realize it sometimes a little too late. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's part of, part of our nature, I suppose. If I could ask you for some advice uh, around graduation, that's something that's been on my mind a great deal. Um, as an administrator of the school, we've been talking about this. How do we how do we celebrate seniors? What advice would you give us around that? 
Well, that's that's a tough one. I've been thinking about that a lot because I've been I've actually been working with a lot of college seniors and and they are going to be missing their graduation. And what I hear from them is that they would like an in-person ceremony at some time. Mm-hmm. So one of my thoughts is at a later date schedule a celebration that is in person but don't let that be the only celebration um if it's possible to do a virtual celebration on the actual day of what would have been graduation i would encourage doing something like that because i think it is important to mark the date i mean this is something mm-hmm. that students have been waiting years for and at Sidwell the graduation is such a beautiful ceremony and I know it was something I cherished and I know that it's when other students have watched those before them walk down the steps of Zartman mm-hmm. if they still do that oh, yeah. um, and just all the ceremony around that it would be so nice if there was a way to have some sort of virtual connection on that day and then invite invite them back maybe in in December if that's reasonable or um, a year out at around reunion time or something mm-hmm. um, so that they have the opportunity to experience it well I'm glad I'm glad I asked you that question because your answer is consistent with what we were thinking so <laughs> for, for affirming well that's good <laughs> so far uh, and we're, we're in conversations with seniors and with parents about that and we recognize that it's such an important part of the experience the closure part of the experience is so important and i've always found that there is a tremendous maturation that takes place in students over that last the that last month of school um and uh relationships that are very much solidified and that's been very much on my mind about how we can maintain that process for our students there, there are also other um, other ways that you can have um, maybe parents or and or teachers send in little short video clips of mm-hmm. advice that they may give to the graduating seniors um, or moments that they remember, almost like the things one would speak up with at a at a Quaker meeting for worship but Mm -hmm. put it in video form and then gift that to the seniors so that they have something to watch in the moment, but that they can also take that away and have that, have it with them. Mm. That's a beautiful idea. Uh, We didn't need a committee on this. We, all we needed to do was to pick up the phone and call you. (laughs) That would have been great. Uh, One of the things when we first started talking about the students, I mentioned this uptick uh, in anxiety that we've seen, especially among adolescents. What do you attribute that to? What is happening in our culture that is creating a greater, the greater presence of anxiety among our teens and, and frankly, among all of us? What, what do you attribute that to? Well, I was actually talking about this with someone last week. And what we were saying is that if you look at the last 20 years, all the things that have happened in this world that have just been catastrophic. I mean, we, you know, we can start with 9-11 and we can go on from there. Um, 
these kids now, these adolescents have grown up in, in really turbulent times that have, because of our connection, our global connection, we, we experience these events so much more vividly and in the moment. So, you know, you're not reading about it in a newspaper several days later, you're actually seeing it as it's happening um, on your computer, on your phone, it's, it, you can't, you can't get away from it. Um, and I, I really think that that adds a lot to the anxiety that this generation feels, um, and with it, the obligation to do something, you know, climate change, Mm -hmm. um, being just trying to help those in need that they they don't know they cannot see i mean coming from sedwell this sense of wanting to give to others and to give back and to support each other is such a strong value that i think has been instilled in all of us that when we see people around the world who are sick or dying or have been shot or the school shootings in this country um, it it breaks everyone's heart because it's not just that it happened once, it's that it keeps happening. These things just, as soon as you start to try to get over one thing, something else happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the magnitude and the, just the number of these events mm-hmm. has, um, they, they build on each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, students, um, I find, worry about the future of the world. They're worried about climate change. Um, they have uh, identified uh, school violence is one of their concerns. How, how do we help students? How do we help all of us find a way to uh, confront uncertainty, to be comfortable with uncertainty? That's a great question. <laughs> and it's, it's something that um, takes time. It takes, uh, it, it's a question, I think, of learning to tolerate uncertainty, not necessarily, I don't know that we'll all become comfortable. Um, I think by being uncomfortable with uncertainty, it helps us move forward to try and make change. But we do need to tolerate uncertainty. And we do that by constantly listening to each other, validating what we can control and recognizing those things that we cannot control. Um, there's a there's a wonderful diagram where you draw a small circle and in that small circle you write down everything that you can control. It's actually not a whole lot. <laughs> um, then you draw a larger circle around it and in that larger space you write all the things you cannot control. Um, when you see that, you start to understand, um, that uncertainty is, is everywhere because you can't control those things. But if you, if you do focus on those things that you can control, how you behave as a person, your kindness, your compassion, um, your work ethic, those things start to reverberate out and they impact other people where you might not even see it. Mm-hmm. And that actually gives some level of um, 
of contentment mm -hmm. um, to manage the uncertainty in the world. Mm -hmm. The illusion of control can lead to tremendous unhappiness, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very difficult. One of the one of the places where, uh, and I'm sure you, you, I know that you're very familiar with this as a parent and as a counselor, is the uncertainty and stress that our students face, um, especially our upper school students face around the college admissions process. And, and that's a very complicated dynamic. What advice would you have to, let's say, parents in terms of helping their children navigate that process? Um, so I'm going to repeat myself and say that it's important to listen to what the concerns are of your child. Um, to fully understand because some kids may be athletes and worried about what it means for their sports. Others might be worried about taking exams or how their APs will be reflected or their standardized tests or whatever. Um, others might be concerned about visiting schools. You know, so there are varying degrees of what those concerns might be. Uh, so each one of those will have some sort of creative solution um, and engage the child in a conversation where they offer some ideas. So brainstorm, brainstorm with your kids about, okay, these are the things that give me anxiety. These are the things I'm concerned about what it's going to look like. Um, okay, so let's figure out, well, is there a way that we can work around it? Is there something we can do? Um, not to speak for the school, but I would I often suggest to parents to contact the school counselors because everybody's still working, even though they're working remotely. Um, but bring bring the school into the conversation. So reach out, reach out to teachers, reach out to colleges. The colleges are open. Their admissions offices are open. Um, so expand your circle of support and reach out and ask for for help there's a, a tremendous parenting anxiety right now of course about um, keeping children on track um, right this has been such a disruptive moment in our history and um, it's, it's it's created some anxieties I suppose among us parents that are real and, and some that are not where, where should we really be putting our focus right now in terms of uh, maintaining a healthy dynamic for our children. Um, what, where should our focus um, be trained at this point? So I think right now it's important that all of us focus on staying healthy and safe. And schoolwork needs to be done, but it's. I don't think it's the first priority. And I believe that kids need to be engaged they can be engaged in different ways so I think some of the stress comes because parents aren't used to uh, homeschooling their kids and this is a conversation that I had with somebody yesterday that you're actually not homeschooling your children it's your children are studying online and you're there trying to manage all of your lives together, which is very different from homeschooling. Mm -hmm. So as a parent, you're not really responsible for your children's academic learning. 
you can assist it more because they're there with you. Um, but if you think about the school day, even if your kids are gone from 7.30 in the morning till 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they're not studying and focused on academic subjects the whole time. There are breaks in the middle, there's sports, there's lunch, there's, you know, there, there's mm-hmm. other classes. So try and incorporate that at home too and don't focus so much on the milestone of, you know, this assignment needs to be done on this day at this time in, and that way because that this is a different time. And yeah. so the other thing I would say is that we're, we're in a crisis situation. This is not a normal situation. So normal, whatever you were thinking was normal before, I don't think really applies. I think we need to give a lot of latitude to everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was uh, attended a meeting for worship with the middle school faculty today, an online meeting for worship, and uh, Margaret Pennick, who is a science teacher there, read a beautiful piece about peeling back the layers of silence. Uh, it's actually a piece that was written by a, a friend of hers who was a rabbi, and the self-discovery that can take place in the context of silence. Uh, and, and it was an attempt, I think, on the part of the rabbi to find some silver lining, I suppose, to the situation that we're in. As a, as a therapist, what, what do you see that, uh, that might be an opportunity for us in terms of human values, in terms of improving our own psychic well-being during this time? What, what learnings are available to us? Well, I think this is actually a fabulous opportunity for everyone because I have always felt, and especially over the last couple of decades, that life has become too hurried and people are so focused on the next goal, the next target, getting to the next step. And all of a sudden, we can't do that anymore. And we've been forced to to stop in a way. And so... I think this opportunity to be able to slow down, to be limited in what we can do, will allow us time to reconsider what's important and to really look at why we do things. Mm. And and then hopefully, my hope as we as life goes back and opens up a little is that People don't rush out and just go running back to what their schedule was. My hope is that we can all become thoughtful about what we add back. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that sense of constantly competing and comparing to others um, and wanting to make sure as parents that your child gets the best grades and gets into the best college and succeeds and gets the best job and you know and on and on it's a it it creates so much pressure and i feel like it's unnecessary because each one of us has a special gift to give but we can only know it if we take the time to stop Mm. and let it unfold and that i think that's the beauty of this time is that we've actually been given a huge opportunity to stop, sit back, 
and have room for whatever it is that is that is our gift to give to come out and unfold mm -hmm. you were um able to make time to be at a meeting for worship earlier this week that honored uh, a student of ours who was uh, tragically killed in a bombing at Sri Lanka uh, a year ago. Um, what was that experience like to come back to meeting for worship in that context, both the digital context and the specific context um, in which in which we were gathered? It was it was one of the most impactful things I've done in the last few weeks um, over this time of being in lockdown. When I was first exposed to meeting for worship, I was I think I was five years old and um, it was it was a process. And by the time I graduated from Sidwell, I I loved meeting for worship. And what I've noticed over the years, the many years since I graduated, um, that coming together as a community is really powerful. And I wasn't sure what it would be like in the digital format. And I was pleasantly surprised. It was it was really um, the sense of community was was very much there, even mm -hmm. though we were all sitting in front of computers um, and I came away feeling so grateful for the community that Sidwell has created and continues to create. I realized that I knew very few people on the call and it didn't matter. Um, but the conversations, the values, the way they were talking about Kieran and who he was and what was important, um, I was sort of uh, transformed back into at into school. Um, mm -hmm. It was it it was really. I I wish more people could experience that. And if I had a request of the school, it would be: Could we please have more of those opportunities so that we can come yeah. together as a community? Mm -hmm. How important is an experience like that to help uh, the experience of community uh, to helping children uh, process grief? I, I think it is very helpful. So I can speak personally in terms of being a high schooler and going through grief. Um, when my mother passed away, I think I said earlier, I was in ninth grade, my brother was in 12th grade and Sidwell did a very kind thing for us. I mean, Sidwell, Sidwell had a meeting for worship for to bring the community, the school together um, for supporting us and my family and my mother. And I think as students, when we know that there is this group, large group of people who we know and who we don't know, who are all there holding this space for us, um, it allow, it's, it's very comforting. And the ability, the nice thing about meeting for worship is that you don't have to speak but you can speak if you want. And when others speak, you get their wisdom. So you can still sit there and still gain mm -hmm. so much by, mm -hmm. by being there, just in the presence of others. So I, I think that um, certainly meeting for worship, but community in general, um, mm -hmm. so that kids know they're not alone. You mentioned a ninja. Um, and 
he uh, unfortunately passed away far too early um, and uh, made a major impact as uh, a researcher. Uh, we now have the Dehesia Fellowship Program, and uh, would you be willing to uh, share what you think about that program and, and share a little bit about Ininja and how the program keeps his legacy uh, being very vibrant in the school? Sure. So, so Ananya was my only sibling, my older brother by two and a half years. And in some ways I idolized him. He, like I said, he was very bright, studious, extremely curious and interested in just about everything. Um, and he went on to study molecular biology and biochemistry, and he did research, um, for the National Institutes of Health. Um, and he passed away very suddenly in 2001. And my father and I wanted to do something so that uh, to remember him and to honor his memory because mm -hmm. he got his mm -hmm. foundation, his set of values, his um, just who he was, it was formed at Sidwell, like me, and we wanted to do something at Sidwell to remember him. And so it has sort of uh, shifted over the years. But right now, it, it's, it's, I think it's landed in a very nice place as an internship program for rising seniors. And I love the program because Anindya got his start because he got an internship that in a sense was random as to where he was placed, but the people he did the internship with believed in him, took him under his in, under their wing and really set him up for what his career was going to be. And that internship was, so it was instrumental in, in, in his life and what he went on to do. So uh, we have this internship program now and students are able to work with people in the DC area and get firsthand knowledge of what it's like to be out in, in the world and working. I think as a young person, you can sort of fantasize about what it means to be working and what you do all day when you go into an office or a lab or um, any kind of work situation, but you don't really know what goes on till you actually show up there. And so this internship program allows students the opportunity to be able to see that and to see what they like and what they don't like. I mean, Anindya loved his internship, so he came back and worked with those same researchers for many years afterwards and stayed in touch with them his entire life. And that was a, a success. Other people may not find the internship to be something they enjoy doing, which is equally important because it's it's good to know what you like and what you're good mm -hmm. at. And it's really important to know what you don't like and what you're not good at. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes the failures are uh, our most important lessons. Yes, absolutely. And so that's actually something Anindya used to say to me all the time is that um, when you have a success, it you know, that's great but that's it, then it's done. But when you when you fail at something or when something doesn't work, there's so much to be learned from it. And from all of those 
times that something didn't work or you didn't accomplish what you wanted to out of all of that that's how you move forward that's how you grow that's how you expand that's how you learn so never give up and always look to ways to improve on whatever it is that's in front of you vidisha patel thank you for being with us today and for sharing your characteristic wisdom with all of us Oh, thank you so much, Brian. (laughs) It's great. It's always great to talk with you. Thank you. That was wonderful, wonderful, wonderful interview. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it.